Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast that sunk a thousand ships and burnt the topless towers of Ilium. I'm Dr. Rachel Wren, ordained Lutheran pastor and assistant professor of biblical studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary. And I'm Rosie Candlethal, PhD candidate in Hebrew Bible and an adjunct instructor at Emory University. This week, Rachel is going to continue walking us through Advent 2021, centering on the text from the Hebrew Bible and using those to exegete the season of Advent. Up for Advent 3, we have Zephaniah 3, 14 to 20. Where are you going to take us this week, Rachel? To somewhere unexpected. Somewhere beyond. (laughs) I am so surprised. (laughs) Right. I know, I know. I'm an Enneagram 4, so I'm a special, special unicorn who always has to be different. And this week, I am leaning into my Enneagram self-defense mechanisms by starting us not even in the Old Testament at all. Uh Uh-oh. What does that mean? Where are we going? (laughs) Well, it means, actually, I'm suggesting this week you start in the Gospel. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. So the Gospel reading situates us with John the Baptist, which is actually just the same place that Advent 2 did. It's a direct continuation of the text from last week. And the end of the pericope for this week goes something like this. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing field and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. So... How do we get to seeing that as good news, you might ask? Why by going to the original good news, my friends, the Hebrew Bible? Dun, 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 and there is the pivot. Exactly. I there's the rub. I'm into Shakespeare today. I'm not really sure why. The reading from Zephaniah has a slightly different image than John the Baptist, but they both involve purification through fire. Okay, now here's my first preaching pitfall. Purity and purification are loaded terms today, and they mean very different things in very different Christian traditions. And I know this to be especially true for teenaged girls and boys and young people in the evangelical world, especially. These words are loaded. So you have to take care if you're going to preach on this to define these words and to make sure that your folks know what they're not. They're not about saving yourself for marriage. They're not about keeping yourself from impure sexual acts or thoughts. They're about something else altogether. Something that in Matthew sounds pretty freaking terrifying, right? But it's okay, friends. It's okay. (laughs) I will save you from that angry God of the New Testament, ha ha ha, by taking you to the pure grace of the loving God of the Old Testament. Uh, See what I did there? Yeah, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Exactly. It's true. With Zephaniah, you get to talk about both purification while also talking about pure grace. But it does take a little while to get there. So if we, if we back up to verses 1 through 8 of this chapter of Zephaniah, you hear about a situation between God and God's people that sounds pretty far from pure grace. In fact, it sounds pretty dire. I'm not going to read all of it, but just a chunk of it goes like this. It starts, 
Ah, soiled, defiled, oppressing city. It has listened to no voice. It has accepted no correction. It has not trusted in the Lord. It has not drawn near to its God. The officials within it are roaring lions. Its judges are evening wolves that leave nothing until the morning. Its prophets are reckless, faithless persons. Its priests have profaned what is sacred and have done violence to the law. And it goes on a little bit. And then it finishes with, Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, for the day when I arise as a witness. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all the heat of my anger, for in the fire of my passion, all earth shall be consumed. (laughs) That sounds pretty bleak. Right. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how you're going to bring us to grace here, Rachel. I know, I know. So then you have to ask, though, what does God's consuming fire and heat and anger and passion do to the people? Because as we hear that, what we're picturing is something like righteous wrath and death and destruction, right? But the text doesn't describe that as a product of God's wrath here. When you read on to Zephaniah 3, verses 9 to 13, which are the verses just before our pericope for today, you find that God's consuming fire and heat and anger transforms soiled speech to pure speech. You find people calling on the name of the Lord, serving God. And you find the scattered peoples drawing together to bring offerings. Or as you could say in a sermon, you, with all of your scattered parts, with all of your pieces that are either broken or have been called broken, you are drawing together to bring offering to God. And what you notice as you are drawn together is that you don't end because where your body ends, the bodies of the people you love begin. And those are also drawn in and drawn in and drawn in. And then what happens when you are drawn in? Well, in verse four, we hear that on that day, we will not be put to shame. Not because you've done the correct ritual or espoused the correct theology or said the correct prayer and accepted uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into your heart. No, you will not be put to shame because what it says in Zephaniah, I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones and you shall no longer be haughty. God does the work. God does not draw in those pieces of us that are proudly exultant and haughty. And be careful, my friends, don't point fingers here to those who you would define as the haughty ones or as the exultant ones. It doesn't matter if the person on the other end of that finger is a heretic or a blasphemer or is wearing the wrong color hat because we ourselves are the haughty and the exultant ones. So be careful. And the result of this purity is what we find in the text for today, which is pure grace. God is among us despite all the things and in our midst, despite everything that's happened. And this God is described as a warrior, but as one who rejoices, as one who renews with loves, who kicks up their heels and tap dances around you singing at the top of their lungs, one who brings you home. So if I were to preach this Advent 3 sermon, I'd focus on something like coming home to pure grace and becoming a pure people. You just got to do a little contextual work to get there. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, Coming home to pure grace and becoming a pure people. 
Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Check us out on Facebook, where we drop our weekly episodes or find a fantastic stash of our back episodes at firstreadingpodcast.com. Send us feedback, give us a rating. We love to hear what's working and what could be improved. Special thanks to Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University for a generous grant that's helping us do what we love best. Thanks also to Tim McNinch for his extraordinary producing skills. Thanks to all of you who are listening. And until next time, I'm Rosie Candethel. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching. <laughs>